I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I recently heard a homily that has kind of been living rent-free in my head for a little while about how Jesus is present in a place. You know, God is everywhere. God can be found anywhere, but Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is in a place. He's in a, a specific spot. He's there in the tabernacle at the back of the church. He's there in the ciborium as communion is being distributed. He's there on your tongue as you receive him into your body. He's there in the monstrance being processed around the room or down the street or sitting on an altar in a perpetual adoration chapel. Jesus is in a place. And because Jesus is found in a place, the Eucharist is the most profound point of encounter that we can have with Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist. When we wanted to do a season on the Eucharist, I think the overarching theme that we knew we'd eventually arrive at, and I think we've done over the past few episodes, is really try to understand how our lives as Catholics are what they are because of Jesus Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament. Not just in the sense of, oh, the Eucharist is this little prize that I get to go have, this meal in the middle of Mass, but, but is everything, all rooted in that, all flowing from that, that I am the Catholic that I am because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ because I've encountered him in the Blessed Sacrament, because of the Eucharist. And as we've dug into what is revival, as we've talked about how our identity is found in Jesus Christ, as we've tried to more fully understand kind of the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs of living as a Catholic day to day, and how the Eucharist is the anchor throughout that life, I've had kind of a recurring thought. And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you'll start yelling at your phone or your speakers in your car, but I feel like sometimes we talk about Jesus and the Eucharist in a very abstract way. We talk about Jesus and the Eucharist in this conceptual theological terminology and not as Jesus is in a place. I can go to that space and find him, receive him, literally consume him, look at him. That is the most real thing that I can do. And when we talk about the Eucharist as something real, it is not real in the abstract. It is real in the tangible. Now that, that sounds perhaps, you know, nice. That sounds, you know, it, it, it faithful. I guess I'm struggling for words here because it's not to say that our conversations about the Eucharist have been wrong in the past or that this is the podcast to make them all better. But it is to say that it's sometimes kind of hard as a faithful Catholic, knowing Jesus is in a place and I can go to that place and I can encounter him and see him and consume him and adore him and and be close to him. The question then kind of becomes, well, is any place as good as that? Is any component of my faith going to be as fruitful without the Blessed Sacrament necessarily right there in front of me? Or the continued I think reflection that a person might be led into is if I'm not making time for that, is everything else kind of secondary to it? 
Another way to put it is if I'm not making time to be close to the place where Jesus is in the Blessed Sacrament, is everything else just kind of lackluster and forlorn and not quite as good? And this is not my way of saying if you're not going to Eucharistic adoration, you're a bad Catholic. It's not me saying if you're not going to Mass every Sunday, full in, guns blazing, this is the best thing ever, that that somehow your faith is lacking. It is to say, though, that I think we have to evaluate that this is not a, a conceptual abstract idea, but that Jesus is real, pleasant and present in a place, and I can go be close to him. I should make every effort to do that. At least sometimes. Should make every effort to go to that place where he is because it is the source and summit and everything that is significant and important and everything in my life flows or should flow from that. At this point in the season, we wanted to sit down with somebody who's come to understand that in their own life, who has experienced Jesus is in a place and I want to be close to that. I want to take time to be in adoration with him. I, I want to take time to be close to his physical body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so we wanted to really kind of unpack and explore, okay, what does a Eucharistic faith life, making time for the Blessed Sacrament, going and spending time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and then allowing that to be the fruit of one's spirituality beyond the physical place, whether it's in small group communities or service work or a Bible study, in relationships with friends and family and and loved ones, even perfect strangers. How does it all flow from the Eucharist? Not a concept, but a real person present in a specific place that you and I can go to whenever we want, because that's where he is. Perpetua Charles leads us to a deeper understanding of her relationship with the Blessed Sacrament today. And I think you'll certainly hear your own story within hers. In a lot of ways, perhaps even come to understand how your relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist can grow. That's really the whole point of this series. Ave explores every single season that we've done. This is number 20. Is just trying to get you and by proxy, I think all of our guests and and me to a deeper place of faith, to a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ, to a deeper understanding of what it means to be a person who lives the faith daily. And so, All of this is part of our Ave Explorer series available on the Ave Maria Press website. We'd love it if you join us. You can get emails right to your inbox every single week that will give you a real snapshot of what we're talking about, links to the podcast, links to articles about the saints. We'd love it if you join us. We'd love it if you'd give this show a rating and a review. But of course, for right now, we'd be really grateful if you'd sit back and enjoy this conversation about adoration and finding Jesus in a place with Perpetua Charles. Perpetua, welcome to the Ave Explorers podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are. We met last summer at the Given Institute, and I've just been like waiting for a chance to invite you onto my show. So I'm super happy you took the time. Thanks. But uh, where are you? What do you do? And and a little bit about who you are. So I live just outside of Boston in the city of Somerville. I met somebody at Given actually who also lived in Somerville for a few years and I was like t- able to talk about landmarks. That was fun. I work as a book publicist in book publishing. Um, I work at Beacon Press, which is a trade, a nonprofit trade publisher specializing in nonfiction titles, specifically related to subjects under the umbrella of social justice. Mm. How'd you land there? Because that what you always wanted to do? I knew I always wanted to work with words and books. 
you know, when I decided that it was going to be kind of a volatile career to like be a professional singer, although in an alternate timeline, that is what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was when I was in college that I participated in the staff of our like arts and arts and literary journal. And I got to oversee production of the journal, I think in my first year as like managing editor, that was a really fulfilling process. So I started inquiring with the help of my advisors and stuff about how I could take that experience and apply it to, you know, the working world. So I applied to a couple of publishing graduate programs, landed at Emerson College in Boston. I went to college in Florida because my family moved there when I was starting high school. So it's kind of a a way for me to return home, which I also had wanted to do. And uh, after a couple of years in the program and a lot of networking, (laughs) I was able to interview for an assistant position at Beacon Press. And I've been there ever since. So I'm going to be celebrating eight years in June. Wow. Wow. It's always interesting to hear like a person's path into what they're doing because I think you could probably go back and look at those past eight years at one place. That's significant, especially for millennials. Yeah. Most people don't stay in places <laughs> for very long. I'm trying to think of my past eight years have not been at one spot at, at all. How did your faith kind of factor into, I know you're working in the realm of books concerning social justice. Your family moved to Florida. You made your way back up to Massachusetts. How How is your Catholic faith And really, you know, this is a conversation about the Eucharist, so we'll get into this. But how has your Catholicity really factored into the journey to where you are now? That's a huge question. (laughs) And I'm going to try to distill it as much as possible. When I was young, I'm very blessed to have the mother that I had, who I always say that she made our faith indispensable to us. Mm. So if there was ever like, you know, sometimes we just, we couldn't go to church because like work schedules or we were stranded somewhere and we couldn't go like, you know, it happened once in a blue moon, but when it happened, I felt it. And that's how I, I say like in hindsight, I know that that's how my mom really kind of created that culture of God, of church, of Eucharist as being like necessary. Mm-hmm. And as that carried when we moved to Florida. Our move was a very challenging one. It was just like a logistically complicated move. There was some family drama and it took us a while to just like find our footing Mm -hmm. when we landed there. So there was a lot of, we really needed to rely on God. And sometimes that was difficult, but you know, the first thing that we did was try to find a church community. And that ended up being a really important thing in our first year living there. And I think the difficulties that we faced and the the necessity to rely more on God as a result just deepened my faith more. Like Mm -hmm. it kind of, it took me a while to make friends. (laughs) So I was like, God, I guess like you're going to, we're going to get really close in this time. (laughs) (laughs) And so he became a deeper friend to me. And um, Mm. I took that with me, you know, into college definitely in college. I went to a a small Methodist affiliated school that had like a lot of non-denominational worship opportunities. And then other, other denominations had like much smaller Mm -hmm. pockets for students to participate in. And with a few friends and colleagues, we just started like a little Catholic student organization and it was mostly fledgling, but always dedicated. And, you know, those were the ways that I tried to build community and stay in community. And there was a lot of missing the Eucharist in college because sometimes mass would be canceled and we just wouldn't know. And, 
you know, yeah, again, like I was just, I'd feel that every time, like, dang, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's not what I wanted. And I don't have a car and I can't like just, you know, go to church. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to make that kind of thing work. But then returning to Boston and like really being away from my family, any of those like family touchstones that made it, I don't know, more or less really easy to practice my faith and to get me to church. Mm -hmm. It was like really my own responsibility to do so. And it wasn't hard. Like, I'm just Mm -hmm. so glad that I had all of that foundation because I knew exactly what I wanted coming back to Boston. It was like I followed, sort of followed the script. I went and found, like went and searched for a church community immediately and found one and I was involved in the ways I could be as a busy grad student. And once my life and schedule opened up following graduation, I dove headlong into leadership with uh, the young adult group and made so many friends and met the love of my life. I'm like, you know, really blessed. So I think when the pandemic hit too, that was another time when I could really feel the absence Mm -hmm. of the Eucharist as many can attest to. and. Now, I think where I'm at in my journey, like I think God's been calling me to be a little bit of a spiritual nomad, to like find him somewhere new, find him in a new parish, find him in new and unexpected ways, but kind of providentially in line with this year of Eucharistic revival. Mm -hmm. I'm also seeking a community that really also centers the Eucharist. Like Mm -hmm. that's where I've kind of felt that my felt my spirituality kind of evolve to mm-hmm. I I love community like I that's just I love to pray among community and among among like-minded faithful but I think like my need for that has you know I've evolved from that and yeah. I'm really just like I want to be among people who care about one another but who care more about Jesus in front of them yeah Ooh, that's a good line. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> well, you know, I think you, you mentioned something. I kind of heard the through line there was the Eucharist and church, like faith was the stable thing in <laughs> sometimes very unstable circumstances, far beyond your control mm-hmm. as a kid. Or then like, you know what? I don't have a car. And so like, I want Jesus, but Jesus can still be present to me, even if I can't go do this thing because of circumstances far beyond my control And I love what you said. It was just easy when I had access because what else was I going to do, right? Like, this is the thing that we do. We go to church, but let's, let's dig into if the Eucharist, if, if faith is the stable thing in your life and in our generation as, as millennial women, that is not often the stable thing that people kind of turn to and and focus on, you know, like we, we often try to find stability and things that end up being quite transitory and then find ourselves floundering and maybe like go back to that stable thing that we know is never going to change. Why do you think in your head and in your heart, it made sense? I'm just going to continue to be committed to this. And why do you think people of, of you know, late 20s, early 30s struggle with that? I like to quote Simon Peter in the Gospels when everybody is like, yikes, you want us to do what with your body? And Jesus turns to him <laughs> and says, well, are you leaving? And he's like, well, where else would we go? Yeah, I feel that like I, I kind of, I embody that so much. That kind of truth of, of who Jesus is and who he is in the Eucharist, like, you know, that's 
probably a big grace that I've been granted as well, but it's just like, I, I have thrown so many tantrums. I've kicked and screamed. I've thrown hymns, hymnals in the chapel, like when no one else is there, just like raged, you know, but I, I would never like walk away. And that seems like a really simple answer and Mm. like kind of a cop out because it's like, wow, you know, congratulations, you have the grace. So you, you just feel like this is something you'll do always. I've definitely been tempted. I've been tempted to just like give up. And I have been in like kind of emotionally turbulent times that have led me to like very intentionally like skip mass. And I don't, that's like never, it never spells the end for me. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think I experience it more as an invitation to like get curious um, and allow the father to also like be curious with me. Yeah. Would you know, we just have a conversation. We like, what's going on? Why, why Mm -hmm. didn't you come to Sunday dinner? Mm -hmm. And then why would my contemporaries not feel the same way? I think maybe because of what, maybe because they lack something like the foundation that I was given, like Mm -hmm. of this sense of like, of our faith and of the Eucharist being indispensable. I keep coming back to that word because Mm -hmm. it's like, for me, it just defines so clearly what it means to be a Catholic, but also just to believe in Jesus at all. Mm -hmm. Like truly because I I need him and I recognize that and experience that daily. Mm -hmm. You know, I like, I'll be willfully ignorant sometimes, but I always know that I'm being ignorant of the fact that Mm -hmm. I need him. And yeah, like I, I'm, I know that like the illusion of self-sufficiency is just that, but it's really a lie. And there are so many other things, like even if we're saying we're not going to rely on ourselves, we'll like rely on something that's like external and ephemeral. It, you really have to believe, like you have to believe that like God is forever, mm-hmm. that God is present, that he's omnipresent, like and it's not easy. It's really not easy for a lot of people mm-hmm. to believe. It's like not easy for me to hold on to, especially right. in really desperate moments of life. So for someone who doesn't, who was never told like, this is the most central and most important part of your life and who like has been given an opportunity to really ponder on that and witness that too Mm -hmm. because it's not just that you're like told and then you like listen you know like my mom didn't just make us pray every night before going to bed and then she was like that's it you Mm -hmm. know like she brought us to these into these spaces like Haitian charismatic worship where like the spirit was moving and even if I was six years old and didn't really understand what was happening like I was being exposed to that in a very like serious Mm -hmm. way Mm-hmm. and being constantly exposed to these like these mystical moments because our our faith is filled with with the supernatural and the mystic like when we are given a chance to be exposed to that then like we we can take these like rules and experience them in a nuanced and like really splendid way that's yeah. what i'd say yeah. if you don't get a chance to do that but like, you know, it's never too late, but if you like, didn't get a chance to do it before, then it's really easy to be like, pitch posh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like learning a language, you know, the younger you start, mm-hmm. 
the sooner it very much becomes embedded within you. And, and, and sometimes like you say thing, my, my, so I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and my five-year-old, we are at my grandfather's house, you know, quite frequently throughout the week. My grandfather speaks Spanish to the dog and he'll say to the dog, ven aquí, come here. The other day, my five-year-old said it to my two-year-old, ven aquí. And I was like, wait, 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 wait a second. No, no, no. We don't give dog <laughs> commands. And then realize she's saying Spanish because she heard it. It's just kind of by yeah. osmosis. She's picking it up. In some ways, by osmosis as a child, we realize, oh, that gold thing up there has Jesus in it. Like, oh, this mass thing that I'm going to is what anchors the week. And so then as we do age and as we become busy or things get more difficult or challenging or we're away from family, we have that that thing that's tethering us. You mentioned you want to be part of communities. You've seen this evolution of like, I want to be part of communities where like Jesus is the most important thing. Because then that that actually ends up like making the community focused on what's most essential, which is the care for the poor or close to the marginalized. We're mm-hmm. just like people who treat each other better because we know Jesus first. Talk to me about that evolution, like that shift in your mind of like, I want to focus on on Jesus and maybe how that becomes a reality, whether in your prayer, whether in regular holy hours. And I really want to get into Eucharistic adoration in your life, you know, as a young woman. But but tell me about that kind of shift in your mind. I want to be part of communities that are focused on on Jesus first. Overall, I'm pretty obsessed with like belonging. I think that's mm-hmm. like one of the kind of wounds of my heart that keeps like healing a certain way, reopening, and God's always working on that part of me feeling like I belong. And because the first thing that I identify as is the daughter of Christ, I just want to be where other people feel the same way, that mm-hmm. they're like children of God. So that's that would be like the, the thing that I would put first. And I think, hmm, yeah, maybe like the last four or five years, I felt a new kind of shift within me where I I was focused a lot more on like, you know, doing what I could do to fit in Mm. before. And even so, if I wanted to belong, then I would kind of do what I thought I needed to do to fit in. And doesn't mean that I didn't have any gifts of leadership, for example, and that I wasn't putting those to good use. But I think when I felt a call to move beyond leadership, I struggled with that for a while because I was like, well, how else am I going to belong, for example? Mm-hmm. And I was watching parish life around me. Maybe it was like a veil was being lifted from my eyes, but I think at the same time, parish life around me was shifting to one that just it focused on so many other aspects of the mass, which are also beautiful, but are meant to be in service of an elevation of the Eucharist. And people were really focused on like each other, but not in a way that expressed care and concern for the other person. And more just like, what is this person doing? What is this person not doing? What is the priest saying in the homily? What songs are we singing at mass? And that all just like the Eucharist just got lost there. It's not like Mm. we didn't, you know, Eucharist happened we still celebrated the Eucharist, but it was just like, I'd walk away from mass and, and still feel like I needed to go to mass again right. somehow. And so I've been to other parishes since where it's, everything is so much more simple and there aren't, there isn't a lot of flash. There might be far fewer people, for example, but 
there's a real buildup and a lead up that I experience to the liturgy of the Eucharist and to the moment of transubstantiation. Everything is working towards that moment. And then there's like a deeper reverence too. And there's still, and then, yeah, the, the social aspect is, is as a result, kind of like you were saying, more of a care and concern for one another, checking in on how the other person's doing. I heard you were sick last week. How are you doing now? Mm. Rather than just like, I don't know, showing up and walking the catwalk and going home. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a, we, we had a conversation at, at one point in the season of, like the Eucharist is not this private little thing. Like, oh, it's my Jesus and I get to receive him and then, you know, just go live my little Catholic life. But like is literally this encounter with love given so that we mm-hmm. can then give love. And and sometimes that doesn't always seem to take place because people are busy or people are so focused on, you know, their own problems and their own concerns, kind of forgetting that the Eucharist is almost like this, this experience, this encounter with a person that leads us to be in deeper solidarity with the people that we're like next to, whether it's the person we pass on our way into a holy hour or the person we see every single Sunday at mass, or like the perfect stranger who's sitting in the back of the church for the first time. I want to ask you about prayer for you with the Eucharist, because I think it's unique for everybody. Based off of the traditions within our family, you mentioned, you know, Haitian charismatic worship. I want to hear more about that. Uh, I'm good friends with a a Haitian priest, Father Louis Marazne, and he keeps pestering me. He's like, you have to come to Haiti to see it. And I'm like, I have kids. I can't come yet. (laughs) Things are busy. Um, But one day, but how does, what does your holy hour look like when you go make a holy hour, when you have time to pray, you know, at given, we had holy hours throughout the week. You know, what does that time of encounter with Jesus look like for you? It depends on how it's, how it's presented because a quiet, Holy hour. I'm very lucky to be just a short train right away from a shrine of perpetual adoration, mm-hmm. St. Clement's, just outside downtown in Boston. I think this one by the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Pretty sure that's who runs it. And, you know, so that's like I can go almost any time and experience just a quiet moment for as long as I want, whether it's Mm -hmm. 30 minutes, a whole hour longer. That's so, it's very intimate because there will be like, you know, just a a few people throughout the pews, but everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. And there is no, there's just a common understanding that we're just like having our private moment with the Lord. And I have done everything from like, just, you know, cry as quietly as I can uh, <laughs> to <laughs> just like sit and soak in spiritual reading or the word journaling. Journaling is one of the ways, maybe the biggest way that like mm-hmm. God speaks directly to me. And so I love to journal in front of the blessed sacrament. And yeah, I think all of those things are like, I'm taking in something. Either I'm just like sitting there and taking him in and taking in his word taking in teachings through the people that he's given gifts to taking in his wisdom through my own reflections as I'm writing. Mm-hmm. But that's like, yeah, a very one-on-one experience. Then if I, it's like, I, I really love leading holy hours with music and prayer mm-hmm. for several years. I did that as 
part of being on the leadership body of the young adult group. We would pray the rosary. We would sing four or five songs, wrap it up. And it's different because I'm Mm -hmm. praying with Jesus, but I'm also like, you know, facilitating a prayer experience for other people. And I love that aspect of it too, because I think, you know, if people, when people would share some testimonies, they say like, this was my first introduction to the young adult group. And I knew I wanted to come back and or I haven't prayed the rosary in so many years. And it was really comforting to like pray it with other people mm-hmm. made me feel less self-conscious or, you know, I used to sing these songs in my youth group and I really miss doing it. So like, these are kind of, I love that God could use me to like create this kind of entry point for, or re-entry point for people to engage with their faith and to engage with the Eucharist. And then in these like much larger, like charismatic worship settings, which like if you've been to a Steubenville conference, you've like sort of experienced the same things just in English versus Nation mm-hmm. Creole. Mm-hmm. You know, the priest is processing, the candles are by his side, there is music, there are hands raised, and you like, you just can feel the spirit just like mm-hmm. bopping from person to person, like tongues of fire on everyone's heads. It's just like complete and utter Pentecost. And that's incredible. And one thing that I love about when I met worship in a Haitian church is that people will bring like they'll bring whole Ziploc bags filled with like people's photographs, family, friends, people that have asked for them to pray for them. And, you know, if it's just like a handful, but like take the the photographs and when Jesus is in front of them, you know, it's so selfless. Like they're putting those pictures in mm. front of, or touching them to the monstrance. Mm. It's a different kind of personal you know, you reaching out and touching the monstrance, people will just take the entire Ziploc bag with a giant wad of <laughs> photographs and just like touch it to the monstrance. Wow. Like, bless them all, Lord. And it's um that's beautiful. There's a real sense of selflessness, but also like trust and yeah. belief. Like it gives it makes me think of um the hemorrhaging woman. Yeah. You know, she believes that all she has to do is touch like the last inch of his garment. And like, I believe that you can bless these people like through this monstrance and this Ziploc bag and this photograph. <laughs> there are many degrees between like you and these people right now, but you can do it. Yeah. You can do it if you want to. And um, that's beautiful. I love like being among people who, who believe and trust so deeply because it helps to augment my faith too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the idea of the hemorrhaging woman. You know, you mentioned Steubenville conferences and that's a huge part of the conference experience, you know, Jesus coming through the crowd and there's, um, there's a new effort by Steubenville to do parish missions. And so I've, I've been able to go and speak at a couple of them and they do Mm -hmm. the procession that you would get on a Saturday night at a conference with teenagers who like understand, okay, this is what we're doing now with, I say this lovingly to our audience with a bunch of boomers in their parish, (laughs) like in the place where they worship every Sunday. So I was just a few months ago on Long Island for one of these and had, I think, one of the coolest, like, moments I've ever been able to witness this old, love him to death, grizzled Long Island priest, kind of with a little bit of a hunchback, carrying the monstrance through the crowd. And I, I and the, the talk right before, I had invited everyone to just kind of take a posture of receptivity. I wasn't about to get these people to just, like, go hands raised, charismatic worship. I don't know that we were ready for that yet. 
but just a posture of receptivity. And this old man, and like, I mean, like 80s old, could have been my grandfather. He took his hands, and this is a podcast, so I'm going to do my best to describe this in the theater of the mind. He took his hands, like cupped them together, and just as Jesus walked past, just like lifted his hands up. Like, not the posture that you would have ever seen a teenager do who would have just gone full arms raised, but just like cupped his hands towards the monstrance as if like he was ready for something to pour out of it. And it was the most tender and innocent thing to get to witness. And I was like, okay, that was worth the trip to Long Island. Like that moment right there yeah. for that man yeah. to experience it. And and you talking about these pictures, that's what I was picturing in my head. Like this just instant trust. That's real. That's Jesus. Like, why wouldn't I cut my hands? Why wouldn't I hold up a bag of photos? Why wouldn't I pour out the depths of my heart to the blessed sacrament right now? Has that ever been for you kind of, I think everybody kind of has like the big moments, like any particular, I hate to say any particular adorations that stand out, but like any moments of like real (laughs) encounter where you're like, yep, that was, that was my hand cupped bag of photos moment of, of true encounter with the Lord. Yeah, it was my, might actually have been my second student bill. I went as a high school participant the first time. And then every year following, which was maybe like another five years, I went as a young adult volunteer in their Mercy Crew division, which at the time was only available in like certain Steubenville mm-hmm. conferences. So I, it was for Steubenville, Florida. And before going to Steubenville, I had a lot of appreciation for charismatic worship and for the procession of the Blessed Sacrament, but not a, as much connection. And then there was some sort of like gap bridged in that particular moment. Cause you know, the mercy crew, we were deferent to everybody else, to the chaperones and the teens for whom truly this conference was being put on and mercy crew folks were in the back, but Jesus was going to make it to everyone. So he made it to almost everyone by the time he came to the corner. And there was something about that, like that he, you know, Jesus came to find me in this like dark, Mm. poorly lit corner of the big meeting room and the priest stood in front of me for a long time like I'm sure Jesus told him like stay here for an extra 30 (laughs) seconds (laughs) she needs this and as a result you know it like sometimes the procession if it's kind of just things are moving along you can kind of want to be like come back Jesus yeah but he was there it was just me and him like such a private moment in the Mm. middle of this huge like booming experience and then finally when the priest moved on like I think you know it's like one two three and I just burst into tears and it was kind of uncontrollable (laughs) it's like yeah it took me a while to like figure out why that happened you know but it was really you know an experience of like gift of tears but it was seriously like I can't stop crying I think I have to leave (laughs) and after that I craved more Mm. adoration. I craved it however I could find it. And um, that included like kind of reinvigorating my relationship with the experience of adoration that I was raised with. One second. Rose, I'm on the radio. (laughs) Sorry, I had a five-year-old banging on the door. You'd think the lock would be the indication. (laughs) Mommy's doing something. Nope, (laughs) just knocks. I apologize, everyone. Keep going. That was really great. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So it, it reinvigorated my relationship with the with the form of adoration that I had been raised with in the first place. 
And then, yeah, I, it didn't matter to me mm-hmm. how I adored as long as I got to after yeah. that. That's beautiful. I think that's what it takes sometimes is just kind of this like walls come crashing down. Jesus came and found me like in the crowd of people. Mm-hmm. And that's why processions especially are such a cool thing to experience in a parish, at a conference. I mean, you know, at a parish mission, like just this moment of here he is in the midst of us. I love how like Eucharistic processions really started and they, they kind of grew in popularity in Lourdes, France of all places because they would have adoration in the square, but the disabled could not come close. And so they would literally take Jesus out to the people who are there to receive healing, to bathe in this one spot. It's like, there's something very tactile about that. Like I want to be Mm -hmm. close to the Lord. So I will bring the Lord close to you. Um, When I heard that, when I was in Lourdes at the end of January, I was like, Oh, maybe that's why I love it so much. Cause it's got this incredible history. Like they, most people don't really know is part of, of why we take Jesus into the crowd. We could keep going. The the publishers or the the editors, that's the word I'm looking for. will fuss at me if we keep going. Cause everything's got to be timed for these things, but we're, we're concluding our conversations this season by just saying, you know, if you, a woman of faith and a person who's clearly had encounters with the Eucharist and, and loves the Lord in the Eucharist, if you have 60 seconds to talk to someone and you can get to pick who this person is, uh, someone who's fallen away from the faith, someone who's, who's very, very much deeply Catholic themselves, maybe a complete atheist or someone kind of in between, um, somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Britney Spears, you have an opportunity to encounter someone and talk to them about Jesus in the Eucharist. What do you spend your 60 seconds sharing with them? I would tell them that if, it's hard for them to see Jesus in the Eucharist because they don't necessarily see Jesus anywhere else. Try seeing someone they love in the Eucharist mm. because that's something um, I don't remember. I heard it for the first time at a retreat in college when we were like saying goodbye. It was not a quite a full goodbye. It was like, I'll see you in the Eucharist, which is just the next time you receive daily mass, Sunday mass. And that reflects the truth that, you know, Jesus is in all of us. We all carry him in us. We carry his divinity in us. And therefore we can like, he, and he, he reflects us back at him and vice versa. It's a very loving and intimate relationship that we're meant to have with him and that he desires to have with us. So he wishes and does like bear our face as much as he asks us to bear his face to others. Mm. So it's just like a very tight relationship So that's what I would say. Like, start there and see where that takes you. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. That's such a such a good word. Perpetua, where can we follow you and and see some of the stuff that you're publicizing with Beacon Books and and other things that you're creating? I am at Princess Perpetua with two A's at the end on Instagram. And I'm at HRH underscore Perpetua on Twitter for book related news. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I think it's a good practice at the end of these episodes to maybe reflect upon your own relationship with Jesus in some ways. I never just want to be a talking head podcast where here's some information, hope it's helpful, see you next week, but but really try to spark deeper faith. That is the point. That's why we're doing this every single season. And I, I was thinking after my... Con- conversation with Petua about my relationship to the Eucharist. 
Not only do I get to have conversations with people about it, but I'm challenged to think about, am I making time? Am I preparing myself for mass every Sunday? Am I keeping myself eucharistically focused throughout the course of the week? Do I swing by the Adoration Chapel when I get the chance? One of the things I I realized recently is that, you know, revival, and I've I've talked about this on the show a little bit, revival for the Eucharist, a, a coming back to life, to a new understanding of why Jesus matters and how we most intimately approach him and get to know him in the Blessed Sacrament. One of the things I've been challenged this entire season, listening back to the interviews and writing the descriptions and doing, of course, the intros and outros and meeting and having conversations with people about the season as it's being aired, is that I will find numerous excuses to not go pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Not because I don't believe that that's Jesus, not not because I don't know that that's really valuable, but because I'm busy and I can make an excuse with that busyness all the time. And no one would stop me from doing so. There's shows that need to be written. There's radio to host. There's children to feed. But yet I can take 20, 30 minutes to stupidly scroll Instagram every day. I will waste away on the couch on my lunch break telling myself, oh, you need a break, you need a break, give yourself a rest. But like the effort to hop into the van and drive down the Adoration Chapel wouldn't be all that great, but I make some sort of an excuse. And I think it's because over time, we take for granted that the Blessed Sacrament is present to us, available to us, Jesus Christ there. We forget that he's in a place, in a space, at a a moment, and that I'm invited to go meet him there. Perhaps this week is the perfect opportunity to kind of reevaluate the own ways, your own ways that you make those excuses, your own ways that perhaps you avoid. And maybe think back to those moments when you have taken the time, when you have been invited in an intentional way, when you have been challenged to approach the Blessed Sacrament more intentionally, when you have recognized that's where he is, then that's where I want to be. Not necessarily as a call out, but just really as I think an opportunity, an opportunity to invest a little more of that energy and effort. One of the things we were really excited about doing with this season was introducing you to the Eucharistic preachers that we have been given from the Eucharistic revival in pursuit of the Eucharistic Congress in support of reviving people's love of the Blessed Sacrament. 50 priests chosen from across the di- across the country, varying dioceses and religious orders to preach on the Eucharist, to share on the Eucharist, to challenge people to a deeper understanding of the Eucharist. And so finally, we were able to get these guys on the books, get them recorded, have conversations with them. And so our first Eucharistic preacher that we're introducing to you today is Father Jonathan Meyer from Indianapolis, the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He is the pastor of a a clump of parishes, a busy guy, a track coach. He'll tell you a little bit about himself. And today he's going to help us understand in a very practical way. This is something we were very, very intentional with asking these very practical questions to these Eucharistic preachers, what you actually can do in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, this place where Jesus is, how you can turn that into a time of very fruitful prayer. So here is Father Jonathan Meyer, a Eucharistic preacher, talking to us about adoration. Father Jonathan Meyer, welcome to Ave Explores. Oh, it's a great joy to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us who you are, where you are, what you do. I know you have a bunch of parishes under your guidance. Yeah, so I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. I serve in the southeast corner of our diocese, very close to Cincinnati. 
And in 2014, I arrived in this beautiful place and I was made the pastor of one parish that was four parishes. So four parishes became one in 2013, 14. And we, at that point, we got under the guidance of Archbishop Joseph Tobin, who's now Cardinal Tobin in Newark. And he gave us permission to operate under a campus model. So mm-hmm. we are one parish that has four campuses. There's 21 buildings, and but there's one parish council, one finance council, one of all of that. And it's just fantastic to see what God has done here in the last uh, nine and a half years or so. And then uh, 20 months ago, uh, the bishop decided to give me three more parishes. So <laughs> I am actually now the pastor of four parishes, which is actually seven church buildings. So in a total, I have 35 buildings, and I have all the parishes in what is known as Dearborn County, Indiana. It's about 2,000-plus households, and we have eight masses in a weekend, and Catholic school, and just so many great things happen. It's awesome. We have a perpetual adoration chapel and a lot of people who love Jesus. So love being a priest, love serving here in southeastern Indiana. How do you maintain your sanity with all of them? Like, I'm just stressed out hearing about all of that. Yeah. So I pray a lot. And then I also, uh, in my spare time, I am a cross-country and track coach at the local public high school. Okay. So I also just truly believe that we need to take care of ourselves spiritually first and foremost, but also uh, take care of our bodies, take care of our, yeah, everything. So I, every day from three to five 30, I'm in a local high school wow. uh, coaching and training as well. So I, I run and do the workouts with the athletes. So that's, I would say that's probably one of my sanities is yeah. that I just try to overall take care of everything. Yeah. Let's throw on top of this your duties as a Eucharistic preacher. We've had a number of your comrades, I'm going to use that term, your colleagues. Yeah. I don't know exactly yeah. what, your brothers. Brothers. We'll just say brothers. Your brothers. Yeah. 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 Uh, comrade is a little too Soviet. Let's say brothers. <laughs> Joining you in this effort. Tell us a little bit about what your role is as a Eucharistic preacher and how you've been able to really fulfill this kind of new title, new job yeah, in the midst of the yeah. Congress? So I like I like to look at the Eucharistic revival as, as just the, under the word revival. So the reality is that we're dead mm-hmm. and many people in the church are dead. And the only way that we find life is through Jesus. And clearly for us as Catholics, Jesus is substantially present in the most blessed sacrament and the crucifixion, death and resurrection of Jesus are made present at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the representation of Calvary. So we need a revival in our country. And so my mission is to preach that revival, to bring about revival in relationship with Jesus. And so, yeah, I've been very, very blessed through different, actually some sometimes in person, sometimes situations like this, where it's online. Mm-hmm. I would say the most powerful experience that I have had is I preached a priest retreat, wow. which was very, very challenging. The, the hardest preaching that Jesus gave in the entire gospel is towards religious leaders. Yeah. And, but I had the opportunity to preach to a bunch of my brother priests. It was very, very powerful to know that I was preaching to the pastors and to the men that God Mm -hmm. has chosen to then go out into their parishes and hopefully bring about revival and renewal. So it happens in different, yeah, sometimes the preaching is to teens, to adults, but yeah, the the goal is to bring a deeper revival in people's relationship with Jesus, specifically Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes to that and um, for doing that. I imagine preaching to to priests is about as difficult as it is to teach teachers. Uh, they make sometimes the hardest audiences because 
you know, you have a lot of work to do. Nobody wants to sit around listening. But also, you know, there's a little bit of maybe sometimes hubris of, well, I could I could do that better. So thank you for taking that on. We are yeah. inviting a variety of your brothers and you into our show to give people some very practical instruction. Um, this is a very heart-driven season. Let's talk about the Eucharist. Let's talk about how the Eucharist has changed our lives. But then at the end of every episode, we're giving people just a quick shot in the arm. Okay, here's a practical way to incorporate love of the Eucharist into your life. And so we wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you you know this, but I, I think, and I maybe this is a muddled memory, but I think I've been to adoration with you before at an ICYC years ago. I think you were the priest that exposed the Blessed Sacrament to a room full of people. That could be just a memory that I've like, I, I know I met you at this ICYC conference, but I, I've seen you online and I've, I've met people that know you very well and how Eucharistic adoration has been a huge part of your priesthood, leading people. You mentioned a 24-hour perpetual adoration chapel. Tell us, you know, a person walking into adoration for the first time, for the 50th time, what should we do when we are actually in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, in the monstrance, in a time of adoration? Yeah. So that was me, by the way. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so I think the most important thing to remember is that you are, you are in front of a person, you are not in front of a monstrance. You're not in front of statues. You're not in front of a chapel that might be beautiful or ugly, or it might just be, you might be in a gymnasium. You are with, you are with the person of Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. And he is God mm -hmm. and he loves you. And so I think one of the, the first thing that needs to happen is just that recognition of that you are in the presence of God, the almighty. And to allow that to sink in, to allow that to just kind of permeate your time with, with God. Okay. Then comes the fact of like, okay, once that happens, it's like, okay, so what do I do? And I am a, just a firm believer in just being with God, sitting with God. I think the goal of all marriage should be that when you're been married for 50 years, you don't have to talk to each other anymore <laughs> because you can just sit with each other. It's interesting when you, if you go to a restaurant right now, young people on dates don't talk to each other because right. they're actually on their phones. Yep. Old people are at a restaurant. They're not on their phones. They're not talking to each other because they actually love each other and they just are with each other. Yeah. And so I think like the ultimate goal in a certain sense of Eucharistic adoration is just to be with God, to just sit in his presence and to just rest with him. Mm -hmm. So as a priest, I spend a lot of time in Eucharistic adoration. I actually try to spend two hours every day in wow. the presence of the Blessed Sacrament because I love Jesus and it is Jesus. And he is the best thing that I should be with, not television or sports or whatever it is. And like, if I want to be a great priest, I need to spend more and more time with him in a practical way. Cause I realize that a lot of us are ADHD and we struggle <laughs> with a lot of those things. So I like to always instruct people to just, if your mind needs to focus, to focus on the acronym ACTS, ACTS, which stands for adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. So to spend some time if you have an hour to spend 15 minutes and if you have 20 minutes, then to spend five ACTS. Mm -hmm. So adoring is just telling God who he is. So God, you're great. God, you're awesome. God, you're magnificent. God, you're all powerful. God, I love you. Singing songs to God that you know in your heart that, that or you can even just make them up because mm -hmm. uh, making up songs is also great. Uh, so just telling God how much you love him. So that's A. C, contrition, of course, is we're, a lot of us are really good at that, beating ourselves mm -hmm. up and telling ourselves that we're terrible. And so, you know, we can we can acknowledge the fact that God is merciful. So God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. 
ACT, uh, Thanksgiving. And of course, we have a whole day dedicated to Turkey uh, mm-hmm. that we do that, but we should do that on a regular basis. And gratitude is the solution to so many problems that we have in our relationships, but most importantly, our relation with God. When we begin to count our blessings and recognize how good God is, it helps us in our relationship with him. And then S, supplication is a really fancy word for for just asking God for what we need. And clearly, we can look at our world and realize our world needs a lot, mm-hmm. but we also individually need a lot in our relationships. So spending time just asking God for what you need and not to be afraid of it. I'm, I, I encounter so many people who say, Father, I don't ever ask for ask anything for myself in prayer. Mm-hmm. And you really should because God wants to grant, give that to you. So when you spend time in adoration, to spend time A-C-T-S, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication, it's also just like the most simple as the prayer. God, I love you. Mm-hmm. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm thankful. And God, I need mm-hmm. you. So it's, it's it, if you just break those down and then you can just develop that prayer to blossom into to flower in, in your own life. So yeah. that would be my suggestion, my recommendation of what to do when you come into our Lord's presence. Yeah, it's a great practical system of, of prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament, even just like at the end of the day when you're putting your kids to bed, you know, here's something that we can all do together as a family, go through these four kind yeah. of movements. It also, I find that when I start with adoration, because there's a bunch of different methods, you know, there's the wrapped method where you start with repentance. But when I start with adoration, there's something that kind of changes in your brain when you like realize, again, this is not a thing. This is not a, a, an idea. This is a person. And I should fall on my knees and, and praise the fact that he is present with me right now. Something in your yeah. brain kind of shifts to this is not just, you know, 15 minutes of, of quiet meditation a la yoga. Like this is an opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord and everything is different as a result of that. Father, when do you, you said two hours, like, is that a morning thing, an evening thing, middle of yeah, the day? So like we can't find uh, Father Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, no, it's as soon as I get up. So my day is kind of, I, I do run from place to place yeah. and I have like said, a lot buildings. of places, yeah. a lot of buildings. <laughs> so it's the first, it's my, just my priority in the morning. Yeah. And just first thing that I do, I wake up for around 430 and make it happen. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's great. What about the person who's sitting there and thinking, I can't do that at 4.30 in the morning? Uh, or, I, yeah. you know, like I, my dad does his holy hour on Thursdays at 1 a.m. Because that's right. when it works with his schedule. The person who wants to start, okay, this is a great model of prayer. How do I actually make this a priority within my schedule? Yeah, so I think it's like anything else that we want, uh, any habit we want to establish in our life. Number one, there has to be a bold commitment. Mm-hmm. And that commitment you need to not only write it down and visually see it again and again, but you also need to tell other people about it so they can hold you accountable mm. and say like, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to spend 10 minutes a day. When you see me, can you ask me how my prayer is going? Can mm. you ask me how that's happening? And I think you also just need to start gradually. I mean, I, I clearly did not start. This is where I'm at right now. And this is the season in my life where the good Lord has me, but that has not always been the case. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that probably might, won't be the case in the future. Mm. Uh, but right now, this is where I am at. And started when I was in seminary, I did a, a holy hour once a week on Thursdays and it just kept growing and growing. And so this is where I'm at now. And this is what I've found that works for me. And I think the yeah. same has to be for you. But I think a very good priest friend of mine, Father Chase Hilgenbrink says, uh, if you tithe the day, it's 14 minutes and 40 seconds. So can you give the Lord 1% of your day? Mm. 1% of the day is 14 minutes and 40 seconds. Can we give that to God? Yeah. And so I think that's a, a great place to start is with 1% of the day. And 
then allowing that just to grow. And it's like anything else as well. It's awkward and it can Mm -hmm. be really challenging. Yeah. And, but it's good to wrestle with that challenge and with the awkwardness. And like anything else, when you were, you know, 13 or 14 years old or 16 or 17, you went on your first date, it was awkward. And relationships are awkward, but they don't have to be. Mm -hmm. And so we learn the the tricks and the tools and we learn from the masters on how to, to make things better. Yeah. Thank you so much for this insight. I think a lot of people are going to find this useful. Father, where can we follow you? And where can we find all of the things that you're doing and the parishes? If somebody happens to be in the area and wants to come to one of those eight masses, where can they go? Yeah, so the easiest way is to go to allsaintscatholic.net, allsaintscatholic.net. There also is a website for all of the parishes, ECC Catholics, Dearborn County Catholics. And yeah, I mean, really, if you just Google my name, Father Jonathan Meyer, you can find some videos. We do a lot of uh, content, particularly around Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas. We have daily videos you can subscribe to that'll come to your inbox with reflections on the scripture passages every single day. So those are those are available for you out there as well. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. God bless you. As always, we're so grateful to our guest, Perpetua Charles, and of course, to Father Jonathan Meyer sharing with us about how to pray in the Blessed Sacrament when we have time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. All of this part of our Ave Explorer series. Find out more over at AveMariaPress.com. We'd be grateful for a rating, a review, follow the show, share it with folks, tell people, hey, these are conversations that are helping me grow in my faith. It gets the show in front of more folks. It allows us to continue to do this great work of having these conversations, which we think are very fruitful for people. We'll be back next week for a conversation about navigating the Eucharist in family life. We hope you join us then. So grateful you joined us today for Ave Explores the Eucharist. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.